I, I might be very, very volatile when it comes to recording the podcast, but in that car, I am serene. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Joe. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. It was another pause, wasn't there? I kind of prefer it now without Alex. The first week was a little bit, you know, I missed him a bit, but now I'm I'm used to it and I, I feel like it's more efficient to you. <laughs> right, yeah, as, as you might guess, now Alex with us this week. Uh, but just like The Secret Garden, we want to unlock your imaginations. That's right. Yeah, that could have been much worse. <laughs> no, no, don't behave. Honestly, you're so rude. We want to unlock people's imaginations. That's right. We want you to imagine that this is a really popular podcast, one that you would leave a five star <laughs> review for on Apple Podcasts and maybe tell all your friends and family about. Uh, now, this week's film, as I said before, is the 2020 fantasy, The Secret Garden. Is it Country File? or Forensic Files. <laughs> I mean, what's wrong with both of those shows? Hey, well, Country File is all about nature, and Forensic Files is usually about a horrific murder. <laughs> I mean, all I'm saying is you Naturists wouldn't want... You, yeah, but you, but you wouldn't want a, a forensic crime scene in your back garden, is what we're saying, but you probably would like something from Country know, File. I think Jan would really enjoy a forensic... <laughs> like, just, you know, a first-person view of a forensic... You know, operation in the back garden. Uh, yeah, it is quite fascinating, to be honest. And it has been going for about 16 seasons, so they must be doing something right. Uh, okay, so maybe that wasn't the best comparison. Essentially, what I'm going to try and find out is, will this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list? Now, just to say, this will be a very spoilerific episode. So if you haven't seen The Secret Garden yet, check it out. It is free if you have now TV or Sky. If you don't, then you're just going to have to trust our judgments because I don't think you can actually get it anywhere else at the moment. I might be uh, mistaken, though. It was on at the cinemas, but the cinemas aren't open at the moment. So, yeah, just you're just going to have to trust us. Uh, or what you can do is fast forward to our quiz this week brought to us by the lovely Joel, which is going to start around the 40-odd minute mark, I reckon. Now, before we go on, our last film on trial was Borat 2. And Dave judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the uh, hit, hit list. What's the hit list? I can't mm-hmm. even remember now. It yeah, was. the hit list. Right. He's since gone away and he has watched the film. So did he make the right call, David? Yes, I think I did. Um, I think when you guys summed it up, you were quite right and that it's just about under the hit list. It wasn't a laugh for a minute. You know, some bits were more cringe than they were funny. Um, but But there's a lot of merit to it. It's definitely worth a watch. Uh, it is pretty funny. Um, and I didn't think it was overly cruel. I think, like Austin said, a lot of the people that have come a cropper kind of walked into it face first, you know. The, and a lot of his bigotry, you know, where he's trying to get a response out of people, a lot of that was genuinely met with kindness. You know, even if he is trying to show a satirical view of the American society, it's not all negative. You know, there is some hope there. You know, like the two ladies in the synagogue, uh, the lady asked to uh, babysit his daughter. You know, there's genuine moments of kindness and humanity there. So, it wasn't an overly cynical view. So yeah, it's worth a watch. So just about in the right place. Oh, okay. Thank you very much, Dave. Now, uh, on to the trial itself. Now, all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on their hit list will be just me on the old bill. 
And I am a bit like the Garden of Eden, full of fruit eating, deceit, and full on nudity. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I, I realize that this is an audio podcast as well and you know I do make references to be naked quite a bit uh, I'm not naked when I do the recordings but just every I'd say other hour of the day essentially uh, but well, yeah. actually, I actually realized um, you know I was uh, one of Gav's best men at his wedding and I realized that every single part of my uh, speech involved Gav being nude it was only like about two hours before my speech that I actually realized oh Jesus literally every story is about Gav being nude in some way so. yeah I, I did have members of my wife's family coming up to me being like have you got a problem <laughs> why are you always naked <laughs> I just, yeah, I just get warm. I get warm and I just like the feel of a nice cold breeze on my flesh. All right? Arrest me, okay? Uh, is it a crime? Probably, yes, it is. It definitely, if I'm doing it out in public anyway. Uh, anyway, moving on. Acting as prosecutor trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be Ozzy and Dave. Ozzy is just like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, an outlandish mystery. Short, short and sweet. I think that was quite a good one for you there, Ozzy. And Dave is just like the Garden of Gethsemane, too Christian. <laughs> uh, sorry, that's a private joke, everyone. It's what somebody once said was one of Dave's worst qualities, <laughs> that he was too Christian. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how. I'm saying I'm actually probably hellbound, you know, it's quite an ironic <laughs> statement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, now, just like real court advocates, the defensive prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may not be their real opinions, however, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear what they really think. Which means this week, Joel has got the most important role as he'll be playing the judge and deciding whether this film should be placed on the hit or shit list solely on the arguments put to him. And Joel is just like Kew Gardens. Who hasn't been in them? Am I right? Am I, am I right? <laughs> Well visited is, is what you are, Joel. Uh, now, <laughs> before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. So what we do here is we read out the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the casts or characters from the film. This week, it has landed on me. So how would you like me to read the synopsis out? Um... How's your Colin Firth? Um, uh, all right, I suppose, yeah. I mean, as good as anybody's Colin Firth. Well, that, nah, that's not true. What about Colin Firth? <laughs> it's it's it as nearly good as, Colin Firth? as good as Colin Firth. Okay, oh, it's right. sold. Oh, it's only a very short one as well. Oh, that's what she says. Uh, okay, here we go. An orphaned girl discovers a magical garden hidden at her strict uncle's estate. One of, <laughs> not a bad Colin One of Firth. the best bits about your Colin Firth uh, impression is the face you have to pull in order to do the impression. <laughs> What's wrong with that face? <laughs> well, it just it looks as though obviously you're trying to get into character in order to say it. You know, it's very. And I was into character. I I, I feel like I got really into Colin Firth's uh, headspace there. Um, you so. actually sounded a little bit more like. Um... Hubie from Hubie Halloween, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, okay, so, um, yeah, without further hesitation, Joel, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Okay, well, um, I've seen the original many, many times. It was one of my grandma's uh, 
only VHS copies when I was younger and pretty much every time I went there she was like oh you can watch the Secret Garden for the <laughs> 17th time so you know uh, I've seen that one many times so we'll start off with um, you know the plot and is it different to the original and um, how it compares to the original so we'll, we'll start off with the defense as usual. Thank you very much, Joel. Uh, so you mentioned the original there. It's actually quite interesting. There have been so many adaptations of Francis Hodgson Burnett's revered children's literary classic, The Secret Garden. I didn't actually know how many. I obviously knew that there was the version in 1993, which I think is the version that you're referring to. But there's also been like several TV adaptations in the 80s and even in the early noughties. But the first adaptation was something like 1914, I think. And there's been several of them. Yeah, it's a great one to watch, to be honest. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, there have been like so many adaptations and admittedly I haven't seen all of them, but few, if any, I believe, have been able to capture the magic of the original novel. And although this adaptation is not without its flaws, I'm not going to say that, it is definitely, in my opinion, the closest we have seen uh, to conveying the wonder and the excitement and the imagination of the original story through what is essentially spellbinding design and execution. Now, the story's beginning is quite different from um, the original or the version that you know yourself, Joel. It starts, actually, it's been relocated to 1947 uh, as unrest grips India on the eve of its partition from Pakistan. So we're introduced to 10-year-old Mary. And what I think the screenwriter, Jack Thorne, has done here is a very good job at taking a number of really traumatic events, including the death of Mary's parents and the abandonment uh, by her servants. Um, but he's, he's taken all these things and he's compounded them into a really quick, almost dreamlike summary before Mary is shipped back to England to live in the grand Missleweight Manor with her lonely widowed uncle Archibald, played by Colin Firth, his disabled son Colin and their housekeeper Mrs Medlock, who is played by Julie Walters. Now, although the manor is situated on the cold, dark and permanently misty Yorkshire moors, Mary soon discovers that behind the manor is a whole new world, a whole new world filled with fantastic and lush greenery and a, you guessed it, secret garden with its own mystical powers. Now, Mary's eyes are opened and has a journey of almost self-discovery where she becomes less entitled and obnoxious and instead becomes more compassionate and caring. Uh, she befriends a local boy, Dickon, and a wild dog, and with the help of the garden and her friends, helps cure Colin and even Thor, the icy Archibald and Mrs. Medlock. Uh, yeah, so there's your summary there. Uh, I can go into a bit more detail on the script or do you want to bring the other two in? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'll go to I'll go to Dave. Um, so, Gab said this is probably the greatest adaptation <laughs> of the of of the book. Uh, what's your opinion on that, Dave? Uh, I have to disagree quite strongly. I mean, we've had so many adaptations of this book before, and don't get me wrong, it is it is regarded as a seminal children's novel. But like Gab said, this has been done so many times before. I don't know what they hope to achieve, what they thought they could do differently by doing it this time. Like you mentioned, the 1993 one, I watched that a number of times myself. I mean, I think we were we were six when that came out. I remember seeing it in the cinema and then I had the VHS myself not long after. And there was so much more of that that I remembered vividly. And I don't think there's any standout moments in this one. It is, it is different. They have changed the storyline. In some instances, they've brought it back closer to the original novel. And then in others, they've gone down a completely different path. 
um, diverged altogether. So I can't say that it's the most accurate retelling. It's like there's bits of it that are more accurate than previously seen, but then there's other bits that have gone completely uh, down in the other direction, down the down the garden path, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> but with regards to what Gav was saying, you know, it's not without its flaws. He's not lying. I'll give him that one. It is not with that. <laughs> um, I'm going to call him on the dreamlike summary that happens at the start. In the, in the original, well, I say the original, in the 1993 one we saw, I think our parents are killed in an earthquake. In this one, more yep. true to the book, they die of cholera. Um, and it is kind of a dreamlike sequence, but it's a very strange way to open a kid's film. With You've got this kind of like uh, a lot of... One thing I will say about Mark Mark Munden, is it? Yeah, yeah. Mark Munden's direction. One thing I will say about it is he does a lot of lingering shots of foliage and a lot of lingering shots of the floor. And hey, that's like what that. you it's want. A very strange yeah. way. <laughs> go, go on, Gav, go on. It's, a, it's about a garden. You want lingering shots of foliage. <laughs> <laughs> lingering shots of foliage. That's exactly what I tuned in for. But this is a kid's film, remember. We can't have these moments of silence, these moments of poignant silence going on while we're trying to work out what the character is thinking. In, in the 1993 version, we got uh, the narration. We were basically let inside your protagonist's head for a little bit, and she would explain to you what was going on. She would explain to you what had happened. She'd tell you what she was thinking. With this, you don't have that. You don't have that in a narrative. Um, and I think it's very risky to do that, because obviously this has come from a novel. In a novel, when you're reading things from the character's perspective, you have that in a narrative, and it helps you understand the character, their motivations. It helps you like the character more. The character of Mary is... She's meant to be a brat at the start of the film. So is her cousin, Colin. They're not meant to be likable kids. You know, they've, they've suffered great trauma in their lives and they're lashing out. They're not meant to be instantly likable. They develop and they become more likable. That's harder to do when you don't understand why they're behaving this way. When it's so unclear, when it's not clear cut, you're not allowed in the heads to work out what is going on for yourself. You just kind of got to go with the flow and just let this, let this run its course which eventually it does, but it takes you a while to get behind your protagonist. And I think that's an issue for this kid's film. And like I say, the long lingering shots, uh, I think do it a disservice. I think it loses people's interest. You know, if it was made for a more mature audience, then I would say, yeah, this is fine. You can hold people's interest down, but this is aimed at kids. This is a kid's book, and this is an adaptation that's supposed to be family friendly. I think young kids are going to be bored with these opening sequences where they are so bleak, so desolate, so so quiet, you know, there's not a great deal of dialogue at first. And I think with too many shots uh, that are done art for art's sake. Okay, so kind of on a, a similar subject uh, here, Gav. So the actual garden itself, how how does that look? You know, it's it's 2020 now, we've got much better CGI. Much better know, gardens, but, much better plants. Yeah, <laughs> Alan Titchmarsh has been born we've since had, the original. You know, there's just we've had better lockdown, opportunities. So this thing exactly, lack of pollution. Lockdown, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, how's, how's it looking? And is it is it real or is it actually CGI? Or Well, uh, see, this is the biggest positive about this film is just how fantastic the visuals are and how just vibrant the gardens are as well. The production designer... Uh, just talk about the film in, in general with the production designer Grant Montgomery uh, I think they've done a really good job of uh, aesthetically recreating the era uh, from like the intricate costumes also the grand imagery of the manor um, but the 
main plaudits, I think, go to the cinematographer, which is Lol Crawley, who shot the footage of these gardens in a multitude of great British gardens, from Bodnant Gardens in Conwy, Wales, to the Forest of Dean in Gloucestershire, and many, many more, to help create this vibrant, immersive, almost sensory experience. I honestly believe it's probably the closest thing you can get to going out and visiting these gardens that you can get in lockdown at the moment <laughs> because we can't go anywhere. We can't see any of this. But in actual, like, in actual fact, the National Trust Gardens are all open for the public at the moment. Uh, yeah, but um, we actually... Hands face to space, guys. You know, yeah, but we're, we're not actually allowed to go there. It's only essential travel that you're allowed at the moment, Austin. So unless, got, you've, been, unless you've been fragrantly breaking the I've rules... Got, <laughs> I've got very thick glasses. I often need to test my eyes. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so yeah, there are st- st- stunning visuals throughout. Um, th- th- but... Also, there is a a bit of a use of CGI as well. Um, So not all of the gardens are uh, completely natural. There are sort of, because there's this magical element of the garden itself, you know, going back to what Dave was mentioning about the script, I think one of the best moves of this film is that they have adapted it. You've mentioned before, there are just so many different adaptions. We've seen this story over and over and over again. They actually do something different here. They put their own stamp on it. I think it's quite a bold move, but I think it really, really does pay off. In the novel, the the powers of the garden, they're metaphorical and, you know, conjuring up the uh, imagination of... um, of the protagonist so it's essentially all in the child's head whereas here to help build the image or the idea of the garden being a magical paradise the the, the uh, screenwriter jack thorne and the director mark munden and um, they lean more heavily on the thought that the garden actually does have magical and healing powers so when a dog injures its paw uh, on a bear trap a wash in the stream seems to magically cure or revive uh, the pup and over the course of several visits, Colin becomes fitter and healthier, firstly discovering that he doesn't have a hunchback after all, and then finally learning that he can walk and doesn't need to be confined to a wheelchair. So although it is implied that all of this is down to the garden, there is still enough ambiguity to suggest that it all could simply be Mary and the rest of the children's imagination running away from them. But uh, yeah, no, I think the, the garden is essentially the main character of this film. But also the bold moves to change the script. Dave mentioned about the change um, completely at the beginning, um, saying, you know, the the parents died of cholera instead of dying in an earthquake. They also changed the end of the film as well. So the manor um, burns down in a fire. So that that doesn't happen in the novel. Um, And I think in the the novel, it just ends with the uncle looking out into the garden and seeing the kids playing together and being, oh, that's nice. Here, the entire manor burns to the ground. Mary runs in and she rescues her uncle. Now, Thorne, uh, the screenwriter, wanted to make the manor less of a character. He thought that the the manor was one of the main characters in the original novel. And here he wants to shift the focus to the garden. And a way of doing that was to coincide with the timing of the end of the Second World War. So the original is i think set in what turn of the century turn of the 20th century yeah, this one is set yeah. just after the first world war which some uh, fans of the novel might not like but i think it did a really good uh, way of setting the, the story up this, this sort of new twist on the story because it coincides with the end of the second world war the house and the country are in this state of disrepair but whereas the nation was rebuilding itself 
the manner was worsening. It was a cold and lonely shadow of its former self. So in stark contrast, the garden is even more colourful and wonderful because of it. And the decision to burn it down at the end even more sort of um, reflects the state of the nation to rebuild everything that we lost and embrace a new beginning. And, you know, and it was also reflected as well in the characters of Archibald and the housemaid, Mrs. Medlock, who at the end, you know, are undergoing their own sort of healing via the garden. They find the garden for the first time. They become less cold, less embittered from living and losing during the war. And they're open and they're receptive to actually start again, start afresh. So yeah, a very long-winded way of saying that the garden is flipping boss. I don't mind people being a little bit... Um, creative around the story particularly when you're adapting a novel you know a classic novel a novel from 1911 it needs to be if you want it to land in the modern age you're gonna have to update it that's fine change the time frame change whatever that's fine but the whole premise of the novel is that these kids these bratty kids who've never been cared for learn to care for themselves and for things by caring for a garden you know they they're in in a novel they're in a small garden you know a, a well biggish garden not the size, not like this one. This garden is so fantastical and it looks great, but it's CGI to fuck. Like it's, it's like watching Avatar, but with two little bratty kids who are not, you know, this, this garden is magical. Whereas in the novel and the, the premise of the story, the secret garden for me was like a tale for kids to say that you've got to care for things. You've got to spend time and nurture things to make them beautiful. Whereas this garden just is beautiful and it's the garden that does all of the healing where in actual fact the, the premise of the story, the original sort of premise of the story and my take from the 93 version which we watched as kids, you know, is that you have to put the time in and the effort in with something in order to to reap the benefits, you know, to make these things beautiful, to work it out whereas that's not the case in this and that, that kind of annoyed me. Um, so, And obviously being prosecution, I was like, boom, I'm all over this. After a little bit of the way in, I was, you know, it's only, it's like 90 minutes issue. It's not that long. It was getting to me too much. So I decided I was just going to throw that out of the way. Let's try and judge the film for the this film. It's not The Secret Garden, we know. It's not The Secret Garden as a book. It's a completely different book. It's a completely, it's a completely different story, you know, just loosely based around the characters and the ideas. And it's still just, it just doesn't, it's just a magic garden. It's like, it's a fucking magic garden. You haven't got to care for anything. Just bring people to the garden and it'll fix them. It was just a different, just quite a boring book. I mean, I loved those long lingering shots of the the foliage, but just because it's pretty, you know, it is is well shot, you know, and and the the use of CGI is good in this. But it's not a very good film. It's just, and it's not the secret garden. Like, I don't know why. They could have named, they could have labeled it something differently. And it and it maybe I'd have been a little bit more receptive to it, but it's so blatantly not the '93 version, and so not the original. You know, even though there's some throwbacks to the like the cholera and stuff, it it's just a different story altogether. You know, if you were looking at the original book, you wouldn't have burned the house down. You know, in the same premise, they would have spent time rebuilding the house. You know, caring for the bits that are good and then working it out. It's just it's so, so different. Like the Colin Firth character in the book, he's never there. That's the whole point of the kids. The kids are uncared for. Whereas in this, he's constantly, he never leaves the house. The guy's always there. He's always, you know, he's, he's 
just just it's just a different different characterization different book and you know and people have having to do this like i, I appreciate that um because you're trying to make a new film but it just doesn't work for me it just doesn't work at all it's like you know i don't know I, it, it, the, the the garden is beautiful but it is cgi heavy in a film that just didn't need it there's no need to put cgi in when you've got beautiful gardens to, f- to film anyway yeah so um you know, from from hearing everybody so far, it, it does kind of sound as though potentially the the themes are quite. They almost sound a little bit, you know, adult orientated, and for what is essentially, you know, a, a kids' film. Do you think that kids are going to understand, you know, what what's actually going on in this film, or are they just going to watch it and enjoy it, you know, for what it is, which it might be like visually or aesthetically pleasing. Like, do you think that they're going to understand like some of the messages and things like that in here as, you know, they, they may have done back in the day? I I knew what the message was meant to be and I didn't get it. Like, what was the message? The message is meant to be that you care for the garden and you care for yourself and for things and you get to reap the benefits. That's the whole point. The garden is unkempt in the book and in the 93 model. When it comes to this one, the garden is just this magical, magical place, and you don't need exactly. to do anything in it. It just looks after itself and looks so after you. They but the point it. The, so to make this magical so... fix-all problem, yeah, where yeah, no, so but, yeah, kids but, will just go to the garden. Fuck it. Some, <laughs> no. Somebody somewhere, somewhere, there's this magical place that I can go to, and it all. Yeah, I, I think they Whereas changed the, it to be like oh, the the house, the manor is the one that's left. You know, like although Colin Firth is present, there <laughs> so the we'll burn time. it to the ground. Yeah, no. And, you know, if you've got a problem, just fuck it. Just burn no. it to the ground. And he, go doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't go and talk <laughs> to his own house. It just happens. Right? <laughs> the thing is, is that, that 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 is the that is the moral of the story here. You know, like you need to put the time in and enjoy these things because they're not going to last forever. You know what I mean? Like Colin Firth, although no, he's in the house, the doesn't look the after moral it. Is that you've got to you've got to build things up and. Exactly. That is why she has such a great time in the garden. You know, she really appreciates that garden and she loves it and she spends time with it and she introduces more people to it and it grows. You actually see the garden getting bigger and getting more vibrant, more colourful and things come into life. Whereas you, you juxtapose that with the manor, which is this cold, dark place. Colin Firth is always there, but he's not enjoying himself. He's not happy. He locks away his child. He locks away himself. And that becomes almost darker and smaller. When it first starts off, it's huge. But as it goes on, it becomes more smaller. And then at the very end, it burns down because he didn't appreciate what he had. And that's the moral of the story. Appreciate what you've got or you'll end up losing it. Okay, so... May I cut in on this one? Yeah, just just one sec, Dave. I'll come back. I'll come to you in a second. So that that does sound like it makes sense. But what I want to know as well, Dave, is kind of you know just what I said. You know, our kids going to understand what's going on. You know, you watch something like you know Pixar, for example, where it's a really interesting story, but there's always you know like a message for children in there as well. Mm. Um, So do you think that you know the 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 kids are going to take away anything from this? Yes, subliminally, yes. I think um, there's a message here for kids. Kids might not know the name of the lesson, but they, they will get something out of it at the end of the day. You know, the, the message is there. They may not understand that, oh, it's the theme of rejuvenation, which is essentially the core theme that runs through uh, Francis Hodgson Burnett's novel, is that of rejuvenation. So the kids might not understand that that's what they've been taught, 
but there is some there is a takeaway for them at the end of this. You know, there is something they will be able to, to glean from it. But the thing is, like I said, that key theme is rejuvenation. You know, Colin, uh, uh, Colin's first son, uh, the character of Colin, is kind of left to his own devices. He's actually not in as bad a shape as everyone says he is. He's just convinced himself that he is because he's been uncared for. He's been neglected. And with a bit of attention from his cousin, a bit of help, encouraging him to walk, he slowly regains his strength and he recovers. It's the rejuvenation of something that's been neglected and then um, with a bit of care and help and attention starts to thrive and flourish once more. Same with the garden, same with the dog that injures its paw. Those themes are sort of there, but then with the manor, that is another one that was... uh, needed to be rejuvenated burning it to the ground is like (laughs) taking a fire axe to it it is so unsubtle you know any theme at that point has gone right out of the window and there's another thing in that one you don't even know how the fire started i don't think i never really understood where the fire came from how it started why they burned the manor down i didn't really get that it didn't make sense i was just watching it thinking this this didn't happen in the maggie smith one but <laughs> something else that maybe it was maggie smith scene. maybe it was <laughs> maggie smith <laughs> it's just she set fire to the set because she wasn't invited back to this one <laughs> one thing that does happen in that fire burning scene it's happened a couple of times before uh, mary the main the main girl gets visions of her mother and her auntie, who was, who was Colin's mom, uh, both of whom have passed on. And she sees visions of them together walking in the garden. She sees them together again in like the, uh, the, uh, the hall of the house as it's burning down around them. And it's not really suggested that, that the spirits, that she's being haunted. There's not like a supernatural element that way. But it's more implied that she's visualizing them, that she's imagining uh, that they are there watching all this unfold. And it happens a few times and it was a very weird theme. I'm not sure kids would get that one. I think kids might genuinely go down the path of ghosts. These, these were ghosts. Um, did they start the fire? <laughs> Could be a conclusion they come to. And it doesn't really make sense. You know, the theme of rejuvenation is about, it's about letting things go. It's about being able to move on. And she's just constantly haunted, even though I stress they are not meant to be ghosts, I don't think. Um, but she's constantly haunted by it. And it just added a layer that didn't need to be there. You know, the Secret Garden, it's it's a simple story, a very simple story with complex themes, sometimes dark themes, not the other way around. And that's why I think Mark Munden in his direction and uh, Jack Thorne, I think they have the screenplay, Jack yeah. said, I think they've got it the wrong way around. They've overcomplicated the story, overcomplicated the visuals, and they've left the themes to one side to be a bit too simplistic, just hope people pick up on them. When in fact, it's those themes that are complex, but the story itself should be oh so simple and so accessible. Okay, uh, Gav? I think that, uh, th- I mean, when you really look at this, and Dave asked the question before, who is this actually made for? Uh, is it really just made solely for children? I mean, when you think about it, like we've all mentioned the 1993 version, how much we enjoyed it, right? So, I mean... When we were kids. It, well, when we were kids. But that's the thing, right? So it's a film that we remember from our childhood. There are also going to be people that remember the earlier versions of the film. There are also going to be people, you know, like my wife, like so many other people who have read the book as a child, really enjoyed it, and have then grown up. You know, like this is a film and a novel that has been around for like over 100 years. This is a novel, I think, that has been probably read by 
the majority, or, or at least you've heard of it, the majority of, of people living in the UK. So the thing is, is that this is like a timeless, ageless film. This is a film that can be enjoyed by anybody. So although, it, yeah, there are um, maybe these these themes that might be a bit too strong for children to appreciate properly, what they can appreciate is the magic of the garden, which I mentioned before, is done very, very well. The rest of the film is to be enjoyed by the people who loved it as a child and now can go back to it with adult eyes and can understand those themes and the imagery and all the context that Dave was mentioning before. You know, the adults can appreciate that, but the kids can appreciate the magic and the garden and the ghosts. <laughs> okay, so... Um, the biggest problem, what, well, the biggest problem what Gav's saying there is about appreciating the magic of the garden is that in this film, the magic is literal. And the whole point is it's meant to be figurative. It's meant to be, you know, the beauty of caring for something. Whereas in this, it's just fucking just ram it down your throat. This is a magic garden. Fucking gigantic magic garden. I don't know how you keep something that big secret. If I was going to have a magic garden, I'll say I would want a gigantic one, to be fair. Um, Okay, so I think we've got enough on the old uh, subject matter there. So we'll go on to, uh, you know, the performances and the actors. Maybe like the costume design, obviously it's meant to be, you know, set in the past, that type of thing. So Gav, do you want to cover that off? Uh, yeah, I think the cast is really good. I think it's really well-rounded. You have these older, accomplished pros like uh, Julie Walters and Colin Firth who deliver really steady performances of two people who, are, as I've mentioned before, have lived and, and lost during the Second World War. And that shows they're very sort of cold and emotionally reclusive people. And yeah, they're, they're, they're very closed up and they, and they portray that very well. But it's the children who really bring this film alive, the contrast of the children as well, because it starts off, as Dave mentioned before, Colin the child, uh, Archibald's child, is, you know, he's, he's left in, in a room on his own essentially he's been told all of his life that he's got this disability he is secluded away from everybody and by the end of the film he has been reborn essentially Uh, and the transformation of that character throughout the film i think is very impressive also you know the main character mary and played by dixie edgericks i want to say um but i think she does a fantastic job she starts off the film as the most entitled and obnoxious little shit i've ever seen in a film the sort of blue collar working classes of america as well all but you know fair play it's testament to that kid because she brought me along for the character transformation and you know the the character essentially has this huge transformation it starts very very slow and incrementally and she befriends her maid uh you know that's something that she wouldn't have done initially at the beginning she was quite entitled and you do this for me and at you know at home my maid dresses me and my maid makes my dinner and i don't eat this and i don't eat that but by the end of it she's she's kind she's considerate she puts herself out there you know there's a point where the maid is in for a bit of a telling off and she steps out and says oh no it's my fault by the end of the film she's completely transformed into this really considerate young young person who actually saves her uncle and brings him to the light and helps him on his journey and his transformation and i think that's a lot of responsibility for a young actor to do and i think that she did an amazing job with it um yeah and i I think the rest of the performances are really well-rounded and good i also think it's very interesting as well that colin faith is in it playing the character of archibald because in a 1987 tv movie version of it he played uh 
Colin. So he actually played uh, the father of the character that he originally played in the 80s. So I thought that was also a nice sort of nod to fans of the uh, uh, you know original um, series or novel or you know people have seen that iteration of it before. So yeah, all in all, pretty great. Okay, I'm sold. Uh, okay, uh, Dave or Ozzy, have you got any uh, rebuttals on that? Yeah, I'll just go quickly and then I'll let uh, Ozzy take over on this one. Um, yeah, to talk about the characters, the performances themselves, I think, are fine. Like I say, the kids, you don't take to them for a long way into this film. Um, that's kind of what you're meant to do. And like I say, it is lacking that narrative uh, that, that like lets you inside Mary's head so you, you warm to her quicker. It's lacking that, so it does take you a little longer, but that's not to say there's anything wrong with the character's performance and the actor's performances. It's it's fair. It's, it's decent performances all around. It's the characters I have a big problem with. Like I say, Mary saves her uncle. In the novel, she saves him, you know, with this kind of like spiritually bringing his family, repairing his family. Um, like I say, the, it's been neglected, and then you can rejuvenate it with due care and attention. This, she literally saves him by dragging him out of a burning building. You know, it's a talk about, I, I mentioned unsubtlety before, and there it is again, you know, just there like a sledgehammer, just driving that point home. And I think the characters, the uncle is meant to be absent. You know, that is why Colin has become the way he is. The uncle is supposed to be absent. He's away on business in the novel, in the 93 version. He's not there at the house. His coming home is meant to be a, a big deal for the end of the film, for the culmination of the story. Uh, and he's just there all the time. The character was wrong. I think because they got Colin Firth on the books, they thought, let's get our money's worth. We're going to use Colin Firth. And because of that, other characters are neglected. Uh, Julie Walters is the housekeeper. You've seen the, the 93 version. You remember Maggie Smith in that. That was a, a powerhouse performance from Maggie Smith. You know, even as a kid, you understood the subtleties that she wasn't the bad guy. There isn't a bad guy. She wasn't an antagonist. But you didn't like her. You were still afraid of her because she was so strict and so hard on the children. You know, you still remember Maggie Smith in that role. Julie Walters, although she's a fine actress in her own right, is not given the ammunition to give her that kind of performance. She's just not given enough screen time. It starts off promising. She's there for the first part of the film. And then you don't really see much of her again. She just kind of flits in and out. And it's a waste of Julie Walters. I think they overused Colin Firth and underused Julie Walters. And it should have been the other way around. It needed to be the other way around for the, the themes of the original novel, the source material, to make sense. Um, so performances in themselves, not, not bad at all. The performances are fine. But the use of the characters is wrong. Okay, thanks for that, Dave. Ozzy, if you got anything would, to add uh, You know, I would totally go with that. You know, I felt like um, Dixie uh, Edgerix, Ed, Ed, I can't remember what we decided we were going to say, but I thought I thought she was, uh, you know, pretty competent. It was good. It was a good uh, performance from her. I thought, like Dave says, everything was all right. It's just not memorable. The film is pretty. People do an adequate job, but it's just not memorable. Um all right, so, and, you know, so we're not going to talk this. about this next year. Let me ask you this. Would you rather watch a two-hour special of Country File or The Secret Garden? Uh, two-hour Country File, I think. At least <laughs> I might learn something. You know, it's a real garden, at least. Okay. Um, has, has anyone got anything else that they want to cover before we uh, switch over to the quiz? Um, I'll tell you what, one thing for on, in the, in the, in the, uh, the film's favour... I thought a dog was 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 cute. You know, that was nice. That was a good dog, dog actor. Yeah. yeah, really good. Good dog, dog actor. Yeah. How, how how does he compare to Bone from Bone Alone? 
Oh, he, he can't operate gone from born alone out of the water. <laughs> oh, I was going to say the opposite because this that dog. I'm glad you finished that sentence, never. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> this dog, this dog would have no no chance of setting any traps in a house. No way, it's too cute. And it, it also, yeah, it falls yeah. into a trap. You know, like yeah, born yeah. alone was the one setting the traps. This yeah, idiot yeah. is the one falling into them. What you don't realise is the dog was actually setting that trap for Mary, that bear trap, and then just got its own, got its <laughs> own foot caught it. in it and then just didn't have the heart to tell Mary that's what he was doing when he got stuck. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I'm glad we ended on that note, to be honest. Um, so <laughs> <a> sinister dog. <laughs> um, uh, so my quiz, I basically started off trying to do a quiz about the films of 2020, and then I got to like question four, and I was really scraping the barrel. By, <laughs> yeah, so uh, so they've about six point. films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is just a mismatch of, of, of everything, to be honest with you. Um, so question one, and I tried to include some likes from, from everybody, so rather than alienate an Aussie from not including the 10 films that he likes I've included some that he actually does like um, so question one what is what is the highest grossing film of 2020 um, is it Tenet no it's actually really low down Tenet yeah I don't think Tenet did that well did he I'll, I'll give you a clue it was just as the virus was hitting so people were still kind of in cinemas okay um, um, how was that yeah. It's been so long. It's it's not a remake, but it is a sequel of uh, two films that were made back kind of 10, 15 years ago. It's not a remake. Oh, but is it um, Bill and Ted? Nope. Oh. It's not a sequel. It's not what? It's I believe you are getting it. I'm, like, I'm struggling it, to remember life before the virus. I, thing. I, know, yeah, <laughs> I can't think of anything that was in the cinema. So in the second one, there's a big ass car chase. Uh, and they're two cops. <laughs> this is bad. This is None of us got yeah. bad boys. I've literally handed it to you. Oh honestly. yeah, bad boys bad three. Bad boys yeah. for life. Oh, well done, yeah. um, Okay, question two. Corona Zombies is a real film released in April 2020. True or false? Fucking true. Probably true. 100% true. true. That'd be a film that was already made and they just changed their name for it. Yeah. I'm going to go yeah, false. So, Ozzy, I'm surprised like how truthful that actually is. So they just basically glued together bits from other films <laughs> and spliced into some real life uh, news <laughs> footage about the coronavirus and made a film oh, called Corona geez. Zombies. Oh my um, God. So that, that's a genuine film. Uh, so number three, I think most of you will get this because I think we've discussed it privately. Uh, what's the most watched film in 2020 on Netflix? Hubie Halloween. No, it's not Hubie Halloween. <laughs> oh, is it ex- uh, Extraction? It is Extraction. Yeah, uh, it's, maybe it, maybe it'll change by the end of the year to Hubie Halloween, but <laughs> no, no one no one's going to watch Hubie Halloween now that it's not Halloween. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing that Hubie Halloween really has against it is the fact that it's got the time <laughs> that you got, should watch the film it's got, in its title. Yeah. <laughs> it's, got, it's got like a literally, it's got like two and a half week. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So that's where I got to, and with the 2020 <laughs> films, essentially. What a quiz, man! What a quiz. Um, so, technically, uh, question... one of those films as well was made before 2020. Extraction yeah. come out last year, didn't it? No, this year, you both. Was it this year? <laughs> it's just Honestly. been a really, really long year. I think most of us. Uh, so, question four: Name the three films in which Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks have starred together. Okay. Bam. 
Dave, go on. You if, you, if you can get all three, I'm on two. If you can get all three. Oh, I'm only on two as well. Oh, no, yeah, I think. I've got it. I think I've got it. Um, you've got mail. Yep. Sleepless in Seattle. Yep. Joe versus the volcano. Oh, wow, man. I didn't wow. think you'd get that, but <laughs> correct. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have got any of them. Okay, so <laughs> I'll see this, this one is genuinely for you, and I'll be really disappointed if you don't get it. What's the name of the baby in The Incredibles? Jack-Jack. Uh, Jack-Jack, well done. Um, I only watched The Incredibles again the other day, actually. watched them both back-to-back. Yeah. What a fucking great series. Have you seen the short Jack-Jack Attack? It's yeah, it's Boston. Yeah. Can you call... The most fashion show. Oh, yeah. man. I watched Frozen the other day as well, both of them. That was awesome. Just have a Disney day? Yeah. I'm okay. just using Steve's, uh, <laughs> Steve's <laughs> subscription. <laughs> he came home today and he was really upset because he couldn't watch stuff when he was out. I was going to say, like, you can barely be asked watching the films that you have to defend or prosecute every week, <laughs> but yet you're able to take an entire day out to watch like six back-to-back Disney films. <laughs> yeah, I watched The Making of Frozen 2 and then both Frozens yeah, oh my God. All, all weekend. There's some shorts there. Don't don't miss out on the frozen shorts. They're great. <laughs> okay, so Dave, I think you're the only one really within the chance of even getting this question, and it's pretty tough to be honest. But okay. I did this question because I've just been watching The Mandalorian on on uh, on Disney Plus. So in The Empire Strikes Back, yeah, there's a scene where Darth Vader hires bounty hunters like uh, Boba Fett. But can you name any of the others that are in that scene? Um, John. Yeah, and one of them. One of them was a boss in Shadows of the Empire. Uh, IG eighty eight. Oh, well done. Yep. Do IG I just need to name one? one oh. Yeah, just one of them. Cool. Uh, you've got an insane memory. Wow. Uh, so, who was the only actor to receive an Oscar nomination for um, the Lord of the Rings? All three films. That um, all three. Not all three, but. You know, he didn't. He didn't. He or she didn't get one for all three films. And saying I'm including all three in that. We're on the right. You think you got the right one, Gav? Listen uh, to your it, heart. You're right. Vigo. Nope. Oh, Don't no. listen to your heart, Gav. Listen to your head instead. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was Ian McKellen for the fellowship. Gandalf, yeah, Ian McKellen. Well done, Dave. Well, I know okay. as well. <laughs> so hopefully, it don't butcher this pronunciation. Uh, the Battle of Thamapawai served as the basis for which... Too late. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, oh, hang on, Thamapawai. Is that, it is 300, isn't it? It is 300, well yeah. done. Um, okay, so I was surprised at the answer to this one. What is the highest grossing war film of all time? 1917. Oh, bam, Stripes. Stripes? <laughs> I haven't even heard of a bit of Stripes. Where Eagles dare. Uh, oh, I, I wish it was, Ozzy. I wish. Uh, I'm going to go mad and say Black Hawk Down. Oh, uh, no. Saving Private Ryan. Could no, you give us like the war? It's slightly you... more recent, so and it's a care. more recent war as well. A more oh. recent war. Uh, like Green Zone or something? Oh, The Hurt Locker. Uh, uh, no, but similar. What about similar. Rambo? Wasn't that set in Vietnam? Rambo Last Blood which was his, <laughs> set in his house it was it like old, old Kevin McAllister <laughs> I wish it was that as well but it's American Sniper oh, uh, oh, oh god really that, that's yeah. the most popular war film oh, that's depressing that man uh, so number 10 which family comedy marked Schwarzenegger's last role before becoming 
governor of California. Uh, right, around the world in 80 days. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, man. So, uh, in uh, Casino Royale, what does James Bond decide to name his signature cocktail? Um, Dave? Vespa. It is Vespa. Well done. And then this one is based on our next film, a little sneak peek. Uh, When the plane is diverted from Chicago and planes, trains, automobiles, where do they actually land? Oh, Vermont. It begins with W. Wisconsin. Wyoming. (laughs) Nope. Wichita. Wichita. Well done, Dave. Is it? So Dave's actually smashed this quiz. You have, Dave. Well done, man. (laughs) So yeah, Dave, you're the winner there. Close the tab with all my notes on that I actually made during this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to have to like freestyle this. Um, so to, to, to kind of summarize briefly, because I've for, totally forgotten everything. It's just like the film, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> been beautiful but forgetful so I, re- I really liked kind of what Gab said about uh, you know we're, we've all seen the film as kids kind of seen it remade uh, updated that type of thing I do think that will uh, you know attract a certain audience especially of our age rather than just children and I think that's definitely you know something positive for the film um, a few things that I didn't like um, maybe they've messed with some of the characters a little bit too much and some of the, um, you know, messages in there are, are either too literal or because of the the messing with the characters have become a little bit too confused. Um, you know, certainly didn't like the sound of uh, Maggie Smith's character uh, in this updated version. Uh, you know, she especially, as Dave said, was somebody that wasn't a villain but you definitely kind of were like you know just give the kids a fucking break man Um, (laughs) and I I didn't really feel like I was going to get that from this one Um, you know again and what Ozzy said as well the fact that you can just kind of take people into the garden and they are you know magically healed whereas I I really kind of specifically remember in the original like all the work that goes into getting that garden you know looking great again and the fact that it wasn't you know, instantly this beautiful place for, for the kids to go in. And, um, you know, it, it, it felt like there was just lacking a little bit of atmosphere from from this remake, whereas maybe all the, the scenes look pretty and they've all used great gardens and things like that. But I just didn't really get the sense that, you know, you were talking about the secret garden, or at least how I remember it anyway. So I think for that reason, I'm going to put it on the shit list. But you know, I am intrigued to to at least watch it and see how it compares. Right, thank you very much, Joel. Um, so, genuine opinions. I'll go first. I thought it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a very, very, very unenjoyable film. I completely agree with everything Dave and Ozzy said. I spent, I'm going to say, 24 hours of this weekend wallpapering and um you know stripping the walls and, and watching it dry yeah no yeah no <laughs> and, and at the end preferable <laughs> i was gonna say at the end of all that work we sat down my wife and i to watch the secret garden and fucking hell it, did, it was worse than all of the work that it just did it was I, I would rather have just gone back and done a bit more wallpapering it, it was just so 
lifeless and charmless and you know it was just too much of a step away from the original novel and the 90s adaptation that I definitely remember I agree with everything that Dave was saying about the characters being like zapped essentially um the character of, of the housemaid was just not in it at all then you had Colin Firth's character who I don't even think was in it that much I mean he was in it more than in the in the 90s adaptation anyway he was still there but he wasn't in it a great deal and when he was he wasn't really doing much and the fact as as he mentioned before one of the original kind of parts of the 90s film was that they bring the garden to life it was in such disrepair and then you know they breathe life into it and there was this whole sort of mystical element to it but it wasn't a case of yeah it's magic here it is essentially like they've just stepped into narnia or somewhere it's it's ridiculous um and yeah and because they focus too much time on the garden they don't really focus enough time on the characters and uh, the film i think suffers greatly because of that because uh, I, I lied massively before when I said that the character took me on a journey they didn't they started off as an entitled little shit and they ended it as just a, sl- a slightly less entitled little shit um, so yeah I did not like it at all so thanks uh, Dave what do you think um, I didn't hate it but I didn't particularly like it either it was it's a very meh film it's it's got a charm to it you know it's nicely shot the, the performances are fine i stand by that no actor here does a bad job it's just but the characters are wrong i stand by what i was saying i didn't lie about any of those points um they have got the film wrong they've gotten it a bit jumbled i think and i think it, it does itself a disservice by the fact that we are of a generation where we were little kids when the 93 version came out and we remember it so well and so vividly because that really was well made that was a really good adaptation so it, it does itself a disservice maybe young kids who are like the age now that we were then this will be their version of it if they go in there with no prior conception of what the secret garden's about they might enjoy this that might be its saving grace that kids who don't understand the themes who don't know the previous adaptations might well like it they might enjoy it it has some charm but it is a very meh film and ozzy's quite right when he says it's forgettable you will not remember this years down the line. Maggie, I can still remember some lines Maggie Smith delivered in the 93 version. I won't remember a, a frame of I this. I think that's a, quite a specific to you, though, Dave, to be honest. I can't remember <laughs> conversations from yesterday, and you can remember lines from like 20 years ago. For films I saw when I was six. Yeah, yeah. but no, that was it was a great film. It was an iconic film, and there's some great performances in there. This one, there's nothing memorable to it. I'm afraid this will be forgotten and left by the wayside. This is normally the time when... Everyone said it's shit, and Ozzy goes, "Yeah, I quite like it actually." <laughs> <I see. laughs> no, it's um, it's tedious, man. It's it's just slow and tedious, and you know, and it should be, you know, maybe it's an easy way to just escape for a few hours, and you know, a year of surprises. Maybe you do want something that's really fucking cliche and boring, but you can find better cliche and boring films than this for sure, mate. So I'm I'm happy it's on the shit list. And I'm glad that I was a prosecution. Sometimes sometimes I wish I was defense, but not this time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right. Thank you very much for that, guys. Um, higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was Borat, which on Rotten Tomatoes scored 86%. Lower. Lower. 69% audience. 69 on for Borat. Uh, 69 audience uh, score and 86 critical. We're going to go for lower. <laughs> lower, just because I think you, you watch Borat, you know what you're getting yourself in for. With this, I think you're in for a nasty surprise. And it should be the other way around. 
Yeah. Okay. So yeah, completely accurate there, Dave. Sixty-six percent critical and forty-five percent audience Oof. score. Um, yeah, I do feel bad because I, I, you know, I think that they had really good intentions, and I did like the boldness of you know the idea to change some yeah. elements of the story around, but it did feel like maybe they focused a little bit too much on the wrong elements, and also what well, I think it was yourself, Dave, uh, mentioned. Um, the house fire I was just like mm. how was that started it's yeah. not just like it's in one place it's fucking everywhere they, like he has gone on a like a absolute yeah and a spree yeah, like, with yeah. like some gasoline and some matches <laughs> because it is everywhere there's no way that, and it just happens like they just sat in the garden and like oh look the house is on fire it's like <laughs> oh, it's like massively on fire Jesus <laughs> Anyway, yeah, sorry. Um, okay, so, yeah, thank you very much for that, guys. Uh, so, the next film on trial has been picked out of the hat at the beginning of this episode. Uh, Joel alluded to it earlier, and it is going to be Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uh, very uh, fortunate. That will hopefully coincide with Thanksgiving. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, so, the roles have also been picked out of the hat at random. So, in the role of Judge, it's going to be yourself, Ozzy. Have you ever seen Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? No, I have not. Hey, there we go. Um, I know that it gets talked about a lot on this uh, podcast and I often just nod along to pretend that I'm getting the references, <laughs> particularly yeah. when when people use it as a, as a frame of reference for another film. I go, yep, yep, totally. I agree with that. And I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. I assume it's about transport. It is. It's a film all about transport. It's a documentary about uh, transport links. It is not quite American. Like when Joel tried to tell uh, tell Jen and, and totally had me believing it that Hamilton was actually a documentary about uh, about the racer. About <laughs> <laughs> Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, no, it's uh, it's not a two-hour documentary about transport links in America, um, but the 1980, I don't know, I want to say six comedy starring Steve Martin and John Candy. So in the role of judge, it's going to be Ozzy. In the role of prosecution, it's going to be myself and Dave. And in the role of defense, it's going to be Joel and the returning triumphant Alex. Okay, so that... Uh, I was going to say that's it but no just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode if you have listened to this episode if you haven't screw off uh, if you did like this episode uh, why not give us a like a share and a subscribe and remember to give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts just spread the warm love that is Films on Trial like The Secret Garden just spread it all over there watch it grow and blossom and uh yeah if you want to check out some further content why not follow us on twitter our film trials or facebook youtube and or instagram films on trial that is it everybody we uh have decided that the secret garden is a shit but we will be in your ears next week with planes trains and automobiles good goodbye <laughs> goodbye <laughs> Um, it's like, yeah. You don't say biology, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this is, this is reopened a wound. <laughs>